And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above, or on the earth beneath, or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honour your mother, your father and your mother, so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbour. You shall not covet your neighbour's house. You shall not covet your neighbour's wife, his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbour. This is God's word. I don't often say this, but you can pretty much close the bit of Exodus because we're going to be uh, in other bits of the Bible tonight. Um, but you will need your Bible with you. So don't close your Bible, but uh, you don't need to keep your finger in Exodus for once. Let me pray and then we'll look at this great passage together. Father God, we pray that uh, as I speak and as we listen, that we might honour you. And we pray, Father, that we might grow in our understanding of how to use our mouths to honour you, our King. Amen. Liar, liar, pants on fire. This commandment nails every single one of us. The likelihood is that many of us in this room have told lies even today. And there are clever philosophical debates about the nature of truth and falsehood and these things. But when it comes down to it, most of us know the difference between the truth and a lie. We know when we're telling the truth and we know when we're lying. We lie when we speak differently from what we think or know to be true for the purpose of deceiving somebody else. We lie when we speak differently from what we think or know is true with the intention, the purpose of deceiving somebody else. And there are lots of different sorts of lies. There are white lies, which are the lies I tell, and there are bare-faced, filthy lies, which are the lies you tell to me. Uh, the, uh, there's a team actually, uh, last week, last week, a team of Dutch scientists did some, uh, they, they published a study they'd done on lying. And they showed that uh, the number of lies we tell changes through life. Peak lying is in adolescent years, teenage years, an average of three lies a day, which tails off to less than a lie and a half a day um, when you're an old age pensioner. They weren't sure why. Uh, but they did suggest that it takes quite a lot of brain power to, to lie. And they said that you know your, your mental faculties do start to tail off uh, with passing years. Whereas, let's face it, teenagers aren't overly stretching their, their brain power. So they have plenty of spare RAM for spinning porky pies. So the scientists tell us. But actually, the more pressing question is, is not um, who lies more and what lies are, but why? 
Why do we lie? Think back to the last time you told a lie. Why did you lie? Why do we do it? Isn't this true? By and large, we lie to protect ourselves when there's something we've done we don't want to own up to. And we lie to boast about ourselves to claim something we haven't done. We lie to escape the consequences of things we have done and we lie to claim things that we haven't done. In other words, we lie because of pride. So you want this job. What do you do with your CV? Massage the wording. Inflate the grades. Swell the descriptions. You want to impress somebody. You drop the the vice or the sub or the assistant part of your job title. Or you've agreed to you've agreed to meet up and oh you forgot. But you don't want to be thought of as thoughtless. You don't want to be exposed as thoughtless. So oh there was um oh, I got called into a meeting at work or oh, blooming tube strike or oh, I'm sorry I was taken ill. You see, we lie because of pride. We care more about what others think of me than I care about the truth. So truth weighs less to me than the opinions of other people. And so I'm happy to tell lies. That's the way it works, isn't it? But you see, this matters. Uh, Truth may not weigh very much to us, but it really, really matters. It's a hugely important thing. Lies are not just words, empty words. Who cares? They really, really matter. You see, lying corrodes relationships. When I lie to you, I damage our relationship. Even if the lie isn't discovered, I damage the relationship. You see, because when I, when I lie to you, I deny you the right to live in the same world as me. I allow you to live in a fantasy world, cut off from the real world. I say, I'm basically saying, I do not trust you with the real me, so I'm going to give you a false version of me, because that's all I can trust you with. That's what's going on when we lie to one another. And so every time we tell a lie, we're chopping strands out of the cords that join us in relationship. So even undiscovered lies corrode relationships. It's a very serious issue. It matters too, because although we're not what we say we are, we are what we say. Let me explain. We're not what we claim we are, but actually our words do reveal what we are. Jesus um, says this in Matthew 12. It's interesting. Have you noticed that people don't mind it being said, you told a lie, but to be told you are a liar. That's, we like to keep our sins at arm's length. So we don't mind the idea of telling a lie, but to be called a liar, that's a little bit personal. And yet Jesus says this in Matthew 12. You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that men will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word they've spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. We're not what we say we are, but we are what we say. Our our words, our lies, reveal our hearts. And when my words show me as a liar, they show that my heart is a deceitful heart. And that is a serious matter. 
And it matters most of all, not just because it says something ugly about me, but because we read in, uh, in Psalm 31.5 that God is the God of truth. That's why it really matters. It's not just the horizontal impact it has on other people or what it reveals about the state of my heart. But God is a God of truth. So when I lie, I am standing way apart from God. Truth and lies matter. Uh, you've got the, the points uh, on, your, on your sheet. Um, we've just got three points really. Don't bear false witness. Tell the truth. And life is complex. The, the text of the ninth commandment, if you, um, if you listen during the reading, is very, very simple and really rather limited. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. Who here has appeared as a witness in a, in a legal trial? Very, very few. Nobody here, actually. One person has. The, in days gone by, it was much more common. You see, um, in this culture, what would happen is uh, the, the town elders would, would gather at the gates. That would be effectively the court. And they would decide... Uh, who this cow belonged to, who'd started that fight, and what these two businessmen had, had actually agreed. But there were very few writing materials, very little, there was no paper at the time, and so you didn't have much in the way of documents, evidence. Instead, what you had were witnesses. So if I'd asked that question in, in, in a church gathering, a synagogue back in Jesus' day, every hand would have gone up, because all of us would have been in witnesses at some point. And in that culture, therefore, you couldn't love your neighbor without being a faithful witness. It's actually a really, really important key part of, of being a good, loving part of society. So bearing a true and honest witness is a very, very important thing. And the English court formula gets this obligation right. Um, the, the court formula is you shall tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. The truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. That is to say, a witness must not tell a lie... But more than that, you mustn't leave out bits of the truth or mix part truth and part lie. You've got to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And as you look at the rest of Scripture, you see that God's concern is, is, is actually pretty broad. It's not just don't lie in court. So when, uh, when the Ten Commandments are really being summarized by the prophet Hosea in Hosea 4, 1 to 2, he doesn't talk about bearing false witness in court. He just says God hates lying. Full stop, lying. He is the God of truth, and so he hates lying. Which means that the application of this is much broader than just, if you ever get called in court, then listen to the rest of the sermon. Otherwise, just zone out. No, no, no. God cares about lots more. So gossip and slander. They're things we say about other people, gossip and slander, that tend to lower their reputation in the eyes of other people. Gossip and slander lower the reputation of other people. And it's slander when I know it's not true. It's gossip when I don't know, but I don't really care because it's just too good to keep to myself. And similarly, flattery. Flattery is a form of lying. You know flattery, how it's linked with gossip? Gossip is stuff that I say behind someone's back I'd never say to their face. Flattery is stuff I say to someone's face that I'd never say behind their back. Both are dishonest. Both are forms of lying. We see in Matthew uh, 26, 60 to 61, that twisting someone's words out of context is a form of lying. Whether it's the Bible or the words of somebody else, to twist words out of context is a lie. Likewise, to make a rash judgment is a form of, uh, of sinful lying in Matthew 7, 1 to 3. So, don't bear false witness. Don't lie. That's the simple, clear teaching of the Bible. Don't lie. Secondly, tell the truth. Don't... 
if you've been here for the, the summer, you'll, you'll have seen that the Ten Commandments are, they're not a sort of limited tick box exercise. They are ten concrete directions that show us how to apply the overriding principles of love God and love people. Ten concrete directions. So do you remember we saw with uh, don't murder that the Bible um, in saying don't murder actually has enormous amount of care about accidental death too. Because the, the, the point wasn't just don't murder people. The point was life is precious. So be really, really careful with it. And the same principle applies here. It's not just don't tell a lie in court. It's truth matters. Truth matters. So be really, really careful with what you say. If in doubt, shut your mouth. Truth matters. That's one of the issues with gossip. Now usually when we gossip, we pass on things we do not know for certain whether they're true or false. But it's just too delicious to be on the inside, to be the one who knows. Or it's too enjoyable to see them taken down a peg or two. And so, even though we don't know whether it's really true or not, well, what's the damage? Be careful with the truth. We have a positive obligation to be careful with the truth. Okay, fine. But life is pretty complicated. So how do you work out those principles in the reality of, of our daily lives? Well, let's, uh, let's try that. Um, scripture gives us all we need to live out our faith, the realities of daily lives. And actually, I think almost everything is solved by uh, two principles or two questions which you need to ask if you're trying to work out, is this, uh, am I allowed to say this? Should I not say that? And there, what is our relationship and what is my intention? What is our relationship and what is my intention? So what is our relationship? It's a very important question. We do not have the same obligations to everyone. Negatively, don't lie to anybody. That's the baseline. But my obligations to the person I sell a car to are rather different from my obligations to my wife. When I'm selling a car, caveat emptor applies. Let the buyer beware. So... I can just sell the car. I don't have to tell them everything about it. You know, I'm not to be positively deceitful. I know somebody whose kids had spilt four pints of milk in, on the back seat of their car. They sold it. They waited till winter to sell it, so it wasn't. And they sold it on a windy day in an open car park. And I just think there's a, that's just deceitful. We're not to be positively deceitful. But if somebody doesn't bother to ask, we don't, you know, the, the rules of the market, you can say, look, here's the car. It's up to them to get a mechanic to look at it. However, if they ask, if they say, look, can you tell me what's, are there any problems with the car? Then you have to tell them everything. Why would you do that? Well, because there is something that matters more than making the most profit you can out of the car, and that is honoring God. So if they ask you, you tell them. But in one sense, in, in, a, in a market, then you know, the obligation is on them to ask. It's different with your wife. You can't get married and then six months down the line say, oh, I forgot to tell you that I already had a kid from a previous relationship and I've got £400,000 of outstanding debts. Caveat emptor. <laughs> it doesn't apply. To be married is to be one flesh, which means you are open and honest and you disclose everything about yourselves to each other. So your different relationships have different levels of what you're required to tell. So what is my relationship? Very important question to apply. Secondly, what is my intention in speaking? 
We are to, do you remember the principle that summarizes the law? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, um, working out what this commandment means is a way of loving people. So what is my intention? My intention in using my gob should be to love people. What is my motivation? Why am I sharing this bit of scandal? If I'm in doubt, don't speak. Who does it serve? Who does it serve when I speak? If it only serves me and makes me look good, me look funny, me look on the inside, then don't speak. What is our relationship? What is my intention? Use your mouths, our conversations, to serve one another. They're a wonderful blessing, a great tool to be used for the blessing of others. Okay, uh, let's get on to the nitty-gritty of a a few practical issues. Let's see how it works out. So I'm fine. I remember... um working in the, in the States for a, for a bit for one summer and a guy got onto the metro and, we, and bumped into me by accident and oh I'm sorry that's alright uh, uh, you okay yep I'm fine how are you and I asked the guy how are you just you know being British um, expecting nothing and then grabbed my newspaper and he said well to be honest fella uh, I'm just having a tough time in my marriage right about now and I was just, <laughs> just uh, you're talking to me on the underground What's, you, I mean it was just it's not what you expect. It's just socially, it's not, it's not what you do. Um, what well, do we have to do that though? If I'm not to lie, if someone asks, how are you, do I have to tell them everything? Well, yes and no. Um, I think the answer is, I, I don't think you do have to tell everybody everything. I owe my neighbor my honesty, but I don't owe them all information. So they don't have a right to know everything. It would be odd if all of you knew as much about me as my wife knows. That would just be, it would be inappropriate. Um, so I don't think, you know, there are sort of, how are you, fine, almost is, is our way of just saying good morning. In one sense, it doesn't mean anything more than that. So you know, I don't think we need to worry too much about those things. Having said that, we don't need to be like the rest of culture in church. And we don't need to use words in a way which isn't quite right. I would love it if we could get beyond the how are you, I'm fine. And ask people how you are when we want a real answer. There's other things you can say than uh, how are you. Um, But it would be great if as a church our intention was we ask people when we really want to know. And we, we just... I'm not saying let's just be suddenly everybody tell everybody everything. Not at all. But we're allowed to have... Jesus has close friendships. He has his particular close friends. Um, he has his disciples and he has the crowd. He doesn't say the same to everybody. You're allowed to have close friendships. You don't have to tell everybody everything. But it would be lovely if we didn't wear masks. If we didn't wander around saying, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. It would be lovely if we asked people, how are you? Because we actually wanted to know rather than because... Well, it's just what you do. So don't worry about the conventions, actually. You know, I don't think it means you have to answer how are you with a, divulging everything that's going on in your life. Um, but it's worth just thinking about how we talk to each other and trying to do so in a way which lends to openness and honesty rather than building up barriers between us. Okay, um, what about uh, that dinner was delicious? Saying that dinner was delicious when it tasted like a bowl of warm sick. Uh, you know, is there, or um, 
your baby looks lovely. Actually looks like a cross between a pug and Winston Churchill. But, you know, you have to say the baby looks lovely, don't you? Um, You know, what do you do about that? Well, the truth is that when we say those things like it tasted lovely and your baby's beautiful, our motivation is to love people. So it's not the worst thing in the world. It's not the worst thing in the world. Uh, but we should, we should always be wanting to be as truthful as we can be. But we're never to be hurtful. We're not looking to hurt people. Because it's meant to be an outworking of love for one another. So, you know, there are ways to do it. If someone asks, you know, um, what do you think of my outfit? Uh, you don't have to... <laughs> I didn't ask you. <laughs> you don't have to burst out in laughter and say, wait till I post this on Instagram. You can just say, you know what, I actually preferred what you wore last time. I think it was, it was more flattering, if I'm honest. Um, you, can be, you can be a bit more honest and yet still be loving. But it's worth us just being intentional, thinking, how can, I, how can I be more honest and more loving in the way that I speak, in the way that I interact with people? Uh, what about um, telling kids about Santa? There's not a Christmas that goes by without, uh, I think it's always the Daily Express has the story about um, the next Ice Age is arriving and the Daily Mail about a vicar who has traumatized school kids telling them that Santa doesn't exist. It's kind of the stock in trade of Christmas. What do you say? Should we never tell kids about Santa? Look, I think we, do, we ought to be careful. We don't want to mislead children. We want them to grow up knowing they can trust us. And so it is worth thinking about those things. It's worth talking to, to parents about how they work that out. But the truth is that for the first few years, kids don't understand the difference between a fairy story and reality anyway. They, they just don't, conceptually, they don't understand the difference between them. And when they start doing so, you can explain, you know, Santa is a story like let's pretend that we, uh, that we play at Christmas time. Not like Jesus because Jesus is real. You know, there are ways to talk about it. You talk to the kids workers, they'll, they'll tell you how they do it. Uh, and until they're old enough and to deal with things, you shouldn't tell kids everything, actually. They're just not able to cope with them. Uh, Corrie ten Boom um, is a Dutch Christian who's very famous for her diary in the Second World War. Dutch Christian family, they hid um, lots of Jews from the Nazis until they were eventually caught. Um, extraordinary family. Uh, but in her autobiography, she writes about, um, as a small child, overhearing a conversation about sex. And she asked her father, Dad, what, what is that about? And he thought for a minute, smiled. And he was a, I think he was a watchmaker and he had a, a bag, a leather bag of heavy tools. And he said, could you pick up my bag, please? And she said, she tried, I can't, it's too heavy. He said, the thing you're asking about, it's, it's sort of like that. It's, it's just a bit heavy for you now. In a few years' time, you'll be able to carry it, but it's too heavy for you right now. Which is brilliant. No silly story about storks and, you know, whatever. But neither did he get out a biology textbook. You know, he, he dealt with her as a child. He didn't lie to her. He didn't play silly games. But he spoke to her in a way which was truthful and yet helpful for her. Uh, and then that actually that leads us on to um, perhaps the one that everybody asks on this issue uh, that their family faced repeatedly in the Second World War. The Nazis knock at the door and are you hiding any Jews in your house? It's the one that uh, Christian Tutsis faced in Rwanda in 1994 when the genocide squads came around. Are you hiding any Hutus in your house? What do you say? You're a Christian. You want to honor God's truth, but you don't want people to be killed. What do you do? People have come up with different answers. Some Christians have said, you tell the truth and you trust God. And uh, there are miraculous, amazing stories of how uh, God has done incredible things through people honoring him with the truth. Others have said, look, 
uh, look at Joshua 2, the story of Rahab and the spies. She lies um, when the soldiers come to kill the Israelite spies and they're saved. And it's all right in those circumstances. Because people basically say, look, um, when somebody comes and asks a question for the purpose of murdering somebody, they forfeit the right to the truth. So the truth is that um, people have come up with different answers uh, to how you, how you work out that. But if we're honest, for you and me, the real issue with this commandment, the real issue is not, will I have the wisdom to work out whether to lie when the Nazis come knocking? The real issue is, will I have the courage to tell the truth, not to protect the people hiding in my basement, but will I have the courage to tell the truth when a lie would protect me and the truth will expose me? That's where it really bites, actually, for us, if we're honest. And so we, we probably ought to spend less time worrying about the theoretical and more time worrying about the day-to-day reality. We'll finish, though, with the, the common everyday work lie, the lie the boss asks us to tell. Just tell them I'm not in. I'm sure many of us have been asked to tell that one. What do you do? You could lie. He's not in. You could tell the truth. He's in. Or you could tell the whole truth. He's in, but he told me to tell you he's out. <laughs> Doesn't tend to go down very well. Uh, the truth is, if you, th- if you think about it a little bit, um, you, can, you can work this one out. Um, quite often, in the, in the heat of the moment, you don't really have time uh, to sort things out. And the best you can cope with is, I've been, I'm, I've been told he's not in, or whatever. Um, but it's worth then raising with your boss. It is worth raising and saying, look, um, and what I would suggest you say is something like, look, I would be uncomfortable lying to you. And because of that, I'm also uncomfortable lying for you. So I would ask if you could not ask me to say you're not in when you're in. I'd be uncomfortable lying to your face and I'm uncomfortable lying for you. I've never heard anybody get in trouble with a boss for that. Actually, usually they they quite like having an employee who's got some standards. And the truth is you often save yourself from being asked to tell much bigger, uglier lies because of your unwillingness to tell just a little lie. Okay, so here are the principles. Work out the relationship, work out my intention. Work out the relationship we have, work out my intention. And be clear on the basics. We're to be people of truth and generous on the complexities. And also, let's be generous with one another. Cut each other slack and be very, very ungenerous with ourselves because we're always cutting ourselves slack and judging each other. We ought to do the opposite. Be lenient on one another and be strict with yourselves is a very good principle. All of which is fine as far as it goes. It tells you what to do, what to do. Here are the principles to apply. Here is how to behave. But do you remember what Jesus said in Matthew 12, that my lying lips reveal that I have a wicked heart that is deserving of judgment? You see, we need more than principles to apply. We need more than just instruction in what to do. We need power to change my wicked heart if I'm to be a person of truth. There's a verse at the, at the top of the service sheets you'll see from John 8:32. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Christianity is about truth. It's about a lot of things, but at its heart is about truth, liberating truth. Why is that? Because at the heart of Christianity is a God who knows the deepest, darkest, ugliest things about you. 
a God who sees not just the things that you've hidden from other people, but he can even see the things you've hidden from yourself. He can see the muck and the filth and the self-centeredness of our hearts in perfect bright daylight. All the stuff we've lied, all the stuff we've hidden, God can see it. And yet, he came and died so that we could be forgiven. See, the truth at the heart of the gospel is a God who loves us not because he believes our online profiles. He believes our lies. And so he's convinced we're as nice as we tell everybody we are. Now, the truth at the heart of the gospel is a God who sees through all of our lies. Who knows the truth and yet, and yet, who loves us with an undying love. Who loves us enough to die for us that we might be forgiven, that we might be his children, that we might be loved and changed. And an acceptance like that, a love like that, changes us. And it unlocks the pride in our heart that drives us to lie. I mean, when when the most important, beautiful being in the universe, when God himself sees everything about you and he loves you, why on earth would I need to lie to these people to impress them? When my heavenly father sees everything and loves me and declares me righteous. You know, we confess our sins together as a church every week. If you pick up your your sheets, you'll see the confession we're about to pray in a few minutes time. Why on earth would you and I go around after the church service wearing masks, pretending we're better than we are, that we haven't done the stuff we've done? Why would we pretend we're more than we are to each other when we've already admitted that we follow the devices and desires of our own hearts, have offended against God's laws, have left undone the things we ought to have done, that there is nothing pure in us sinners? We've already admitted all of that. Why bother pretending afterwards? The truth shall set you free. The truth sets you free from sin. Because the truth reveals the Christ who died on a cross for you. The truth sets you free from guilt. Because he has finished paying for every last drop of our lies. And the truth sets you free. Because we no longer need to lie to others. When God knows the truth about us and yet loves us. Truth requires courage. Jesus told the truth when a lie would have saved his life at his trial. And in Jesus you and I find forgiveness for our lies. We also find the courage to tell the truth, even when it will cost us. Let's pray. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Our Father, we are sorry for our lies. We're sorry for the impact they have, the hurt they cause to others, the damage they do to relationships. But we're most of all sorry because they show that we have proud, selfish, pathetic hearts. And so we ask for your forgiveness. And we ask that through the Lord Jesus Christ, you might change us. We pray that we would be so secure in his love for us. So secure that one who knows us inside out would love us. That we would not need to live lies. And that we would be able to be open with each other. We ask this for your glory in our hearts and in our church. Amen.